What is up, everybody? My name is Matt Cordova. I'm the senior pastor here at The River, and we are excited that you are listening to our podcast. Now, before the message starts, there's three things that we would love for you to do. One, we would love for you to share it. Two, we would love for you to subscribe. And three, we would love for you to go and rate it. So the message is about to begin. I hope it encourages you, and I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. It's called spring training. Where are my baseball people? Ain't baseball fans up in the room? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. It's okay. Don't be ashamed. There may not be baseball in Panhandle, but listen, baseball is from the Lord. I'm convinced Fenway Park is in heaven. I, I believe it. Like, I mean, when they tear it down, it's going to be transport. It's going to ascend into the new heaven and new earth. I believe that, right? Baseball, baseball, it, it's time. You know, in baseball, they have what's called spring training. What is spring training? It's when base, all of the players within the organization come together and they start playing games to prepare for the season, right? It's this time when we realize, hey, the season is among us. And it's time for us to start getting ready. Baseball, they play like 164 games a year, right? That's a lot of games, right? You want to know why baseball players get out with thumb injuries? <laughs> it's because it's a lot of wear and tear, right? But the whole idea between the, behind the idea of spring training is us getting prepared for the battles that we're going to face tomorrow, right? It's spring break. It just ended. We need to be prepared for the things that are going to come up throughout the rest of this year. And one of the things that we have to understand is the biggest battleground that we have is in our mind. It's in our mind. Most of the struggles we face start here, right? A lot of the repercussions of the, the, I would say, the discipline from the Lord that we walk through are because of bad decisions that originated here. So this next series, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the mind. We're going to focus on what the Bible says about how to protect our minds. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. While you're turning there, I'll tell you kind of a little bit about the book. Peter is, well, you know the Peter that, that walked on water. This is the same guy, the same Peter that was like, hey, you're the Messiah, and then tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. So he got called Satan in the same chapter. Crazy, right? Peter's a super outspoken, um, a, but a pretty bold leader. Peter is writing to suffering Christians in what is known as modern-day Turkey in this book. So, and then right before where we're going to look at, he had just, this is, it's actually one of my favorite. He says, cast your cares, or another translation says, cast your anxieties on the Lord, right? Cast your anxieties on the Lord, and it says this, because he cares. Sometimes in, it, it's easier to get through life when we know that people care about the situation that we're in, Right? It, they, 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 may, they may not even have to have a solution. It just matters that they, that they care. And Peter's telling them, listen, cast your anxieties on the Lord. Why? Because he cares. Why does he care? Well, he's because you're a son and daughter, son or daughter. Does that make sense? So this is what it says. Verse 8. It says, be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory is in Christ, will himself, we need to hold on to this, he will what? He will restore, everybody say restore. Establish, say establish. Strengthen, say strengthen. Support, everybody say support. He will do all of these things for you after you have suffered a little while. Here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the battlefield of 
the mind, the battlefield of the mind. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it's crazy up there. It's crazy up there. Let's pray. So dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for today. God, I thank you for the opportunity to come and meet and gather God. And man, I pray that, that, that you would uh, move in our church and in the other churches all across the globe, that people would know how good you are, that they would know your promises, that they would know that you love them enough to, to leave heaven and come and die on a cross for them, God. God, I pray that we would walk out this place in freedom. And everybody said, amen, amen. The battlefield, the mind is a crazy thing, right? Like, have you ever just sit, sat down and like analyzed your thoughts? Some of y'all are like, I don't want to do it. It'll drive me crazy. I was like, well, that's why we're talking about it. <laughs> but the mind is a crazy, sometimes your mind is your greatest asset. It's the thing that works for you. Some people, I know, walk about in great confidence. Why? Because there's confidence in their mind. But sometimes our mind is our worst enemy. Sometimes the biggest opposition to us is us because of the thoughts that we have in our mind. Sometimes it's in our mind we get deter what's called determination, the ability that, to see something through or perseverance, right? But other times in our mind, usually when we give up, it starts in our mind. Here's what I've learned through working out is oftentimes your mind will tell you to stop before your body will. Your, your body is actually stronger than your mind knows, right? A lot of times we are weaker mentally than we are physically. We are weaker mentally than we are physically. Our mind tells us to give up. If you don't believe me, try CrossFit, right? It's for real. <laughs> like it'll tell you, it'll tell you to give up. Your mind is crazy. Your mind can convince you that people are for you, right? But your mind can also convince you that people are against you. I heard a story one time about a guy who went to work, and he walked in. It was a crazy busy day, and he usually walks in. He says hi to everybody, but there was this lady that when he said hi to her, she didn't say anything back. And that whole day, he's like, oh, my gosh, Barbara's ticked at me. And the truth is, Barbara wasn't mad. She's just busy. She's just working on some stuff. But he had convinced himself in his what? his mind, that she was against him. How many times has that happened in our life? That just because we misinterpret a situation, which interpretation happens where? In our mind, right? We feel like people are against us. And the truth is, is they may be busy. They may be distracted. Or they may be going through something themselves. You know what I mean? The Bible has a lot to say about the mind. I'm going to show you a couple of verses. Um, Psalms 23, verse 7. This is uh, a pretty common one. We're just going to look at the first part of it. It says this, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. As he thinks within himself, so he is. Another translation says, as a man thinks, he is. So what is he saying? You often become what you think about yourself. Think about that. Solomon, this isn't within a text. A lot of Proverbs are one-liners, right? They're just wisdom phrases. And he says, so uh, as a man thinks, he becomes. As a man thinks, he becomes. Whatever you think about yourself, you often become. You start to walk in. I remember as a youth pastor, I, I, I used to have this statement, man, I, I believe in the next generation. I'm just going to tell you that. I love when I get to go talk to the, to the next generation because where we mess up is we think that they're the church of tomorrow. If we think that they're the church of tomorrow, there won't be one. They're the church of right now. You know what I mean? They make a difference right now. They have a fire inside of them right now. 
Uh, one pastor says this, is there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. The same spirit inside of you is inside of them. And they, they can make just as much a difference at their young age as we can at ours. We need to remember it was often young teenagers that, that God called. David, teenager, when he slayed Goliath. Mary, teenager, when she was impregnated by the Holy, is that the right word? By the Holy Spirit with, to, to have the Son of God. They were teenagers. Teenagers, listen, the worst perspective you can have is I'll follow Jesus when I'm older. Because Jesus is calling you right now to make a difference right where you are. Right now. Right now. I used to have this conversation with him. I'd say, listen, it doesn't matter if I believe in you. It doesn't matter if your parents believe in you. Or God. It doesn't matter if God believes in you if you don't. If you don't believe in the gift that God's put inside of you, you won't ever utilize it. If you don't believe that in the, in the words of life that your parents are speaking over you, you'll never walk in it. You often walk in how you see yourself. As a man sees himself, he becomes. Uh, something I learned, this is really interesting, especially kind of in the Old Testament area, era, era, they didn't know science like we do, right? So for them, they didn't know that their thoughts, their emotions, and their decisions came from their brain. They thought that their thoughts, their, their emotions, their decisions came from their heart, right? Their heart. In fact, there wasn't even really a word for heart until, uh, until you get to the Greek, which is where you get cardia and cardiac is what we would use in our. So I want to show you some Old Testament texts that talk about the heart. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of your life. Guard. Now imagine this. If my thoughts, my emotions, and my decisions come from my heart, that sounds a whole lot like what? My mind. Guard your mind above all else, for out of it flows the direction of your life. I heard a pastor say this one time. He goes, your life is heading in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is heading in the direction of which echoes what we just talked about. You are becoming what you think about you. Your life is going in the direction of your, small, uh, of your strongest thoughts. Let's see one more. Jeremiah. This one, oh, we love this one. H have you ever heard, had somebody tell you to follow your heart? Like that's the advice they gave you? Listen, follow your heart. If you do, that's the worst advice that anybody could give you. Why? Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, look, the heart is deceitful above anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. The mind is deceitful above all else. It's in your mind that you, that you buy into the lies that you hear. It's in your mind that you buy into the truths that you hear. You know what I mean? The hardest thing that we have to understand, especially if, if we're going to look at the mind as a battleground, is what is the truth and what is not. And I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to be, be as blunt as I can. If we don't know the word of God, you'll never know which is the truth. If you don't know the word of God, you'll never know which is the truth. So this is just a couple of examples of the thing that the Bible says about the mind. Let's look at today's text. So after talking about anxieties, which, if you think about it, where does anxiety happen? In the mind. Depression, where does it happen? In the mind, right? Anxiety is usually a fear associated with a future event. Right? If I, if I have a, a fear associated with a place or with a particular situation, that, that situation may never happen. Have, have you ever, um, know that you're gonna have a hard conversation with somebody? So you've played out the whole conversation before you get there. You're like, oh, if they say this, I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna get them. Mm, I'm gonna get them with this one. Right? Have you, have you ever done that? Okay. That's like a precursor to anxiety. <laughs> 
Because what you're doing is you're building a case inside of your mind against somebody before you even get there. And the truth is, is that most of the time I've learned it never goes the way you think it's going to go. You know what I mean? Usually you have the conversation like, okay, yeah, that's cool. I see what you're saying. I'm like, I didn't prepare for that. (laughs) Was not ready for that at all. So let's look at the text. We're just going to look at the first four words. Um, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be alert. Leave that up there. Be sober-minded, be alert. Now remember this. Paul or Peter is addressing Christians who are being persecuted. They're, they're suffering. They're losing their lives. They're getting beaten. Um, one commentary talked about they were often put in coliseums and being mauled by lions. Right, this is the type of, uh, if we think we're being persecuted in America, listen, we don't even have a clue. Right, this is the type of stuff that they're going through. And then he tells them this, hey, be sober-minded, be alert. What does he mean by sober-minded? Right? That's the question I want to know. What does he mean? It's an echo of something he says in the first chapter. First chapter, uh, verse 13, he says this, Therefore, with your minds ready for action... Be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be sober-minded? It means to have your mind ready for action. Listen, church, when's the last time we woke up with our mind ready for action on behalf of God? Right? Some of us, like, (laughs) I walk in this. Um, Sometimes we have our mind ready for action with how we're going to handle our kids more than we do like God. We have our mind ready for action with how we're going to run our business instead of for God or advancing his kingdom. You know what I mean? He's saying, no, when it comes to your faith, have your minds ready for action. When it comes to walking it out, have your mind ready for action. You know what? Like if our minds were ready for action, maybe we would treat people a little bit differently. You know what I mean? Instead, what happens is we don't stay sober minded. We're like, oh, listen, I'm going to give them, I'm going to tell them how I feel, Right? I'm going to let them know. Shouldn't have talked to me like that. So what we do is we actually set aside our sober-mindedness, and we're like, nah, I, I choose my way over God's. I choose my mind over, over his. First Corinthians says that you have the mind of Christ, by the way. You have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? You have the ability because of the Holy Spirit inside of you to think about the things that Jesus thought about and to think like He thinks. In fact, not only do you have the ability to, you're called to. You're called to think like Christ in all circumstances. Jesus didn't, it wasn't just like rainbows and candy canes for him. Pharisees were trying to trap him all the time and he still had his mind on the kingdom of God, right? He still addressed every situation the way that God wanted him to address it. See, we need to understand many of the battles that we face start here. Right? Many of the, the questions that we ask, where they start? Here. Many of the things that we believe about God are here. The things that we believe about ourselves are here. The things that we believe about other people, it's all in our head. Right? It's all here. See, I, I, I love this. I love that he uses the word sober-minded. Right? In our context, in our culture, what is the opposite of sober? Drunk right? Intoxicated, inebriated. Well, think about the decisions we make when we're drunk. We're not, well, first of all, we're not alert. Second, we're not clear-headed. We're foggy. We make 
bad decisions. We make irrational decisions. We make decisions outside of our character, right? He's telling them be like uh, another easy way to think of sober mind is to be clear headed, right? So what are some things that we could do to be clear headed? I've got two ideas. One is you need to remove emotion from your decision making process. Remove emotion. If, if you are making a decision from an emotional spot, there's a high chance that you're going to make a bad decision, right? Imagine making a decision when you are ticked off. You're going to make a decision from the basis of being angry. But imagine the other side of it, right? Imagine like you've been dreaming about a new truck and they put out this new truck that, you, that looks the way you've wanted. It's got all the bells and whistles and you're just like, woo, but you ain't got money in the bank. But you go buy that truck. Can you see where even joy and excitement and happiness, because listen, we laugh at this situation. I've seen it happen. Some of y'all are like, that's me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can make, even from a joyous spot, emotion, when you allow emotions into your decision-making process, you can make bad decisions. Whether it's angry, depressed, sad, happy, joyous, overflowing, like when we want, if we want to make sober-minded, clear-headed decisions, one, we need to make, remove emotion from the equation. Second, this one, take the time to ask the question, is this wise? Like, take the time. Take the time to ask the decision, is this wise? And, and even to partner with this, what I would say is, li is listen for peace. Listen for peace. Because I think if you can find peace after asking the decision, is this wise, you can know that the Holy Spirit's guiding you. Right? So two things. Remove emotions from the decision. Second, ask the question, is this the wise thing to do? Right? But notice, he didn't, he didn't just say be sober-minded. He, he used another term. He said be alert. Be alert. What does that mean? Be a ready. Well, why would he say that? What's it, it, let's finish that verse out. Be alert. And then it says, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anybody he could devour. So think about this. He tells them to be alert and to be ready because the devil's coming to take you out. The devil's coming to bring disruption. Like, he, he's trying to to mess up you following God. I mean, that's throughout the biblical narrative. He wants to pull you away from God's plan for your life or God's plan for humanity, right? C.S. Lewis said this one time. He said, there's two mistakes that Christians make when talking about the devils. One, we either joke about him or two, we ignore him. To Peter, the devil wasn't worth being ignored and he wasn't worth joking about. He's pretty serious when he writes this. Now, I'm going to say this. In some circles, we give more attention to the devil than God, and that's not okay either. When we give more attention to the devil than God, what we're saying is that we have more faith in the devil to mislead us than the Holy Spirit to guide us. Y'all catch that? When you give more attention to the devil than God, what you're saying is I have more faith in the devil to mislead me than the Holy Spirit to guide me. Here's the truth. Most of the time, it's not the devil. Most of the time, it's bad decisions on our part. There's some things we need to understand about the devil. One is the devil is not omnipresent. God is, but he's not. The devil is a created being. He can't beat the created or the creator. He's the created. The created can never beat the creator. 
The devil can't create. He just manipulates and imitates. You know what I mean? And he's only in one place. Oh, man, sometimes Christians get me going because they're like, oh, the devil came at me today. I woke up and I had a flat tire and I was like, "Mm -mm, not today, Satan, but your tire light's been on for three months. You know what I mean? That's not the devil. It's bad decision making. Your car breaks down. Well, the oil, you're supposed to get an oil change four months ago. You know what I mean? A lot of times it's not the devil. A lot of times it's our bad decision making process or delayed responses or our procrastination. You know what I mean? I remember one time I came home. I had, a, I had an English teacher. She was not my favorite. She was not. Mm, no. We had to do journal entries like every day in class, and I didn't do it. That's probably why she wasn't my favorite. <laughs> uh, we had to do these journal entries, and um, I came home, and they were due the next day, and I had to like write like 40 journal entries. So like I came home. I was like, Mom, I can't do it. I got like 40 journal entries. She goes, well, how long did you know you are supposed to do it? I was like, today. <laughs> just kidding. I'm like, nah. I, was like, I knew I was supposed to do it like every day. She goes, okay, well, when you're done writing those, I'm going to make you write, I will not procrastinate. And so I had to write that over, but I waited to do that. So it was okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. So um, the devil, a lot of times, man, listen, here's what I want to do. If the, if the devil was important enough for Peter to talk about, I think we should talk about him too. We're not talking about him to, to give him power. We're talking about him to understand him, right? So we know in the Bible that names mean things, right? Every Names mean things. El Roy, right? That You'll find the name of God, El Roy, in the story with Hagar, and it means God sees because when she was casted out and she thought she was going to die, God saw her. That was her experience. Jehovah Jireh, right? God will provide. Why did he get that name? Because that's how Abraham experienced him when he provided a ram. So names reveal things. Okay, so the name devil is actually more of a descriptive term. It's the Greek word diabolos. Everybody say diabolos. Diabolos. This is what it means. Slanderer. Slanderer. Right? Um, And to be like more specific, it's in the idea of somebody in a court case and they are going and they are slandering the person that is on trial. So, So think about this. Why would Peter use the name slanderer to define the devil? Because that's what he does. What is slander? It's to make an abusive statement or an inaccurate statement about somebody to cause damage. The devil slanders. And there's four areas that I was thinking about. There's four areas that he slanders. One is he slanders us to God. He slanders God to us. He slanders others to us. And he slanders us to us. Right? That's what the devil does as he brings abusive statements about us to God. Man, I, God, you really died for them? That, I, you know, I saw Bobby over there looking at porn on his cell phone. You died for him? God's like, yeah, I sure did. I set him free. Now, Will, watch. Watch what happens. He'll slander uh, God to us. Oh, oh, yeah, so you worship God? Where was he when you were going through that tough moment? Huh? It's kind of crazy. We had this conversation, our staff retreat, but oftentimes we attribute our circumstances to how we feel about God. So because life is hard, we think God's not for us. Show me that in the scripture. It was a great conversation because we all do it. Right. God's absent. He must be mad at me. No. A lot of times teachers aren't yelling out answers during tests. You know what I mean? 
God slan- uh, the devil slanders others to us. Oh my gosh, man, you should hear what Becky, I heard that Becky was out there. Uh, she kissed so-and-so and then mm, she'd make bad decisions. You're like, well, I met Becky yesterday. <laughs> or, she slan- or he slanders you to you. Man, you're, you're just never going to be anything. Stuck right where you are. Anybody walk through any of that? Any of that? Why? Because that's what he does. Right? That's what the devil does, is he slanders. He's, listen, when we talked about the focus of relationships, that wasn't just a marriage thing. When Jesus died on the cross, it was to put humanity back in unity. Why would the devil slander? To break the unity up. Insert Ephesians 6, where he says, put on the armor of God. Why? Why do we put on the armor of God? To fight for the unity that God gave back to us. When it talks about standing firm against the enemy, the the arrows that he shoots, the flaming arrows, that's so that we would stand against each other. It's to bring division among us. Why? Because he slanders. That's not the only thing he does. He's deceitful. He lies. Another name for him is the father of lies. Right? Think about this. Genesis. I love Genesis. We're going to talk a lot about Genesis probably this year. But Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are in perfection. They have everything that they need. They have a relationship with each other. They have a relationship with God. And and the, the, the serpent sneaks into the garden and he says, listen, hey, eat this fruit and you'll be like God. You know what's interesting? Like, if you look at the sin between Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, they're two very different things. Cain straight up made the decision to murder. Adam and Eve sinned because they bought into the lie. They bought into the lie. Oh, if you'll eat this, you'll be like God. But God told them no. He's like, you know what that was? That was humanity seizing the understanding uh, or their own understanding of what's good and evil. And look where it's got us. When we interpret what's good and evil, look where it's got us. Right? When we allow God to interpret what's good and evil, it looks a whole lot like Eden, more like Eden than it does like right than it does now. Right? So the devil, he comes in and he deceives them. And that's a lot of what happens in your minds. Here's what I propose. Many of the struggles and divisions that we have in our life happen because uh, we've bought into a slander or deceit and we've given life to it. The divisions and relationships that we have with other people is because we had somebody come and tell us something about somebody that we didn't even know the truth. And they convinced us, which happens where? In your mind. And all of a sudden, I would, I would, I would call it this. We have a borrowed offense against that person. A borrowed offense. Or maybe somebody, uh, the devil has just come into your life and he's told you lies about you. Oh, you're not good enough. You're not, you're, you're worthless. You really think you're going to make a difference? Come on. You think God gave you a gift? You really believe that God can use you? Have we bought into those lies? You know, I love this. I love this. A lot of times when we buy into the lies of the devil, we isolate ourselves. Okay, so it talked about the devil being like a roaring what? Lion. Lion's always going to pick off the animal that strays away from the pack. 
You catching that? When you isolate yourself from people, you become the prime target for the devil to get in your head. Right? When we're, listen, I've gone through depression. When we're depressed, if you've ever dealt with depression, what do you want to do? You want to hide. You want to isolate. And I always told them, like when, we were, when I was going through, I told my staff this. I said, I am the most dangerous to myself in my own head. For, for many of us, that's true about all of us. We are the most dangerous person to ourselves in our own head. Why? Well, he's telling us where the battleground happens. You want me to tell you why the devil wants to get you alone? Because he can win one-on-one. That's why Ephesians 6 talks about the church putting on the armor of God. Because what, is, what was Jesus' promises? That the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? Come on, somebody. Right? So when we are together, when we share our struggles, when we share our sins, we lock shields and the devil cannot prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Listen, I, if you're watching online, if you're in the room, I, I will tell you this. In the middle of your struggle, do not isolate. Run to somebody that will love you and speak life into you and gather their arm, wrap around you. Get a crew of people around you and say, listen, I'll take some hits for you. I'll stand with you. You don't have to go through this trial by yourself. I'm going to walk it out. It doesn't matter if I get hurt. There's somebody else for me too. That's what the church is for. Listen, that's what life groups are for. If you ain't got a life, I love my life group. If I'm struggling, I know my life group's got me. You know what I mean? And I've got some fierce people in my life group. Like, if the devil trying to come here, I'm scared for him. I got some, whoo, man. There's some people. You know what I mean? We need people. We need each other. Listen. You know what? Sometimes we need to, we just need to be surrounded with people that will say, hey, listen, remember Jesus died for you. You may be in a pit right now, but listen, I know of a guy named Joseph. He was in a pit, sold into slavery, ended up in prison, got falsely accused, went streaking. But listen, he was put on a throne one day. (laughs) You know what I mean? We need some people to remind us of what the Bible says. When you're in a pit, when you're struggling, you need people around you that tells you what God says about you. Listen, you think you're ugly, you're worthless. No, girl, listen, the Bible says that you're his masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus for the good things that he prepared beforehand. That's what the Bible says. You want to know how to win the battlefield in your mind? Get some people to speak truth into your mind. If all you hear are lies, oh, I learned, I learned this when I was studying. I don't know what I was studying, but it was about, I was listening to a podcast, and it was talking about Hitler. And he said, you know how Hitler convinced Germany to go in on their, his little crusade? Is he lied to them constantly. And when they were lied to constantly, they all believed the lie. Listen, some of the poop, I almost said a bad word. <laughs> I almost said crap, not a bad word. Some of the crap that we walk in are because we've bought into the lie, and we've heard the lie for too long. And I'm here to tell you that you can get rid of that lie. But you're not going to do it by yourself. For some of us, we are our own worst enemy. We are. We get stuck inside of our own heads with our own thoughts. And the devil's like, okay, this is my playground. Why? Because that's where he's going to slander. You know what I mean? When we're by ourselves, how many times? Well, nobody even cares about me. Guess who told you that lie? The slanderer. You know what I mean? When we isolate, man, nobody cares. Nobody's here. Nobody's reached out. Nobody knows. 
Nobody knows your struggle until you tell somebody. Nobody knows the problems that you're going through until you tell somebody. It's deceit and it's slander. You know what I mean? I want us to be reflective a little bit. Ask the question, what are some lies that you've bought into that you walked into the room with today? Right? What are some lies that we've bought into? Because what, what did that first proverb say? As a man thinks he is. As a woman thinks she is. As you think you become. I mean, what have you, what have you bought into? So, so what do we do? What do we do? What's in verse 9? Verse 9, he says this. It says, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Peter says, this is what you do. You resist him. We're like, oh, I've been trying. And Paul would say the same thing in Ephesians 6. Resist him, stand firm. You know what's interesting about Ephesians 6? Is it says that you can stand firm. He tells you to stand firm. And then he says at the end of the battle, you can still stand firm. You know what, me tell you what that means, what that tells me? Is if you're exhausted after a battle with the devil, you've been fighting by yourself? Because you're usually tired. But he's written to the church. He's like, if we would fight like the church, we would be able to stand firm. You know what I mean? But he says, he says resist him. You're like, Matt, well, I've been trying to do that, like my whole life. I've been trying to resist him. It's hard to resist him in an age with TikTok and Snapchat. How do I resist him? He tells you. First thing he says is stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Listen, if your faith isn't circulating through your mind, you will not stand firm on it. If your faith, if the word of God isn't flowing through your mind or if the attitude of Jesus isn't flowing through your mind or thinking about what I believe isn't flowing through your mind, you're never going to stand on it. Here's what I believe. I believe people reveal what they truly believe in the middle of their struggle. So in the middle of my struggle, do I act a fool? Or do I, do I act like Jesus would? You know what I mean? In the middle of my struggle, do I depend on me? Or do I depend on God? Because see, he's telling them to stand. Hey, when the devil comes, when, you, when you're in the middle of the fight, what do you do? I want you to stand on God. Jesus said a wise man builds his house on what? Solid ground. But a fool builds it on sand. He says fool, not me. That's the quote in the scripture. Fool builds, builds it on sand. Any foundation that's not Christ is foolish. Any foundation that's not Christ is foolish. If you want to stand firm on your faith, you've got to get your faith at the forefront of your mind. You've got to get your faith on the forefront on your mind. What's the second thing he says? Well, know that you're not the only one. Know that you're not the Listen, you're not the only one struggling with what you're struggling with. One of the biggest lies that the devil tells us is that, hey, you're the only one, right? If you're in here and you struggle with depression, the devil's probably telling you, you're the only one. Anxiety, you're the only one. You got marriage problems, you're the only one. The thing is, that's, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You're not the only one. And that's why God surrounds us with the church, because there may be somebody sitting next to you that's been delivered from what you're facing. And they've got a testimony and they've got a story. And it's their responsibility to share that with you. Why? So that you can walk in victory. Right? What what happens? This is what testimonies are for. They're not for us to build a case. Oh, well, God moved in their life. Where's he at in mine? It's to say, if God did it for them, he could do it for me, too. Right? 
If God did it for them, he could do it for me too. If your marriage is on the rocks, if you're struggling, right, there are some people that have gone through some tough stuff in this room. they got a story to tell you about how God brought them back. If you're, going, if you're in depression, you feel alone, listen, there are people in this room that have been delivered, that have been set free, that have been strengthened and restored. they got a story, and they can get you back, right? My story, man, I, my story, I t- I've told you, I struggle with pornography. Porn is real. Like, I'll be, I'll be real. It's a, it's a big deal. The average age of a kid looking at porn when I was a youth pastor was nine years old. Now we're giving our kids like cell phones in like second grade. Guess what you just gave them free access to? Whew, not my kid. Go check their search history. You know what I mean? What is, but porn, you get like, it makes you start to objectify people. It makes you look at people not for who they are, but what they could do. And it wasn't until I talked to somebody about my struggle and them telling me how they got set free that I got set free. I mean, listen, testimony is the most underutilized tool and weapon in the kingdom of God. You know why we're afraid to share our testimony? Because we're afraid that somebody's going to put shame on us. No, you can't put shame on something that's victorious. You can't put shame on something that's victorious. Here's the truth is, man, if we would share our testimonies, maybe we'd see more uh, unbelievers come to know Christ. We want to beat them down with the Bible. Listen, they don't believe in the Bible. You can argue theology with a wall all day. You're going to get in the same spot. They can't argue with your experience with God. They can't argue with how God got you to where you are, right? And there are people all across, all in this room, all online, that need to hear your story. Because your story is evidence that God is still moving. It is. How God got you where you are tells the story that God is still moving today. That he's still moving today. That he's still got a plan today. That he still brings hope today. That he restores faith today. We need to share our story and stop buying into the lie that you're the only one. Listen, you're not the only one. You're the next one that's about to be set free. That's what I'm believing. You're not the only one. You're the next one that's about to be set free. See, like going back to spring training, when, when teammates are struggling, guess who they're surrounded by? Their teammates and their coaches. They got people around them to pick them up. You know what I mean? I actually love this idea, this analogy. But in baseball... The way that it works is all the outfielders, they in, in like college and high school and pro, what the, all the outfielders and infielders, this is what they do, is all the infielders will put their gloves together. All the outfielders will put their gloves together and, and, and kind of stuff. And when, when somebody gets the last out, somebody else is picking them up. So that they, they're not running all the way back to the dugout and kind of their thing. Somebody grabs their glove and their hat, they take it to them. They build them up. Hey, man, hey, it was a good swing. It was a good at bat. Get them next time. You know what I mean? They're not having to run and do it on their own. They got somebody coming to pick them up. That should be what the church should look like. Man, you made a mistake. That's all right, bro. Listen, you, God, God, God's God of second chances. He's here with you. He's got you. I got you. I'm going to walk with you. Get them next time. Go get them next time. Worship team, you guys come up. I'm going to start using baseball signs to call up the worship team since we're doing a baseball series. <laughs> Sorry. All right, so here, let's ask this. Let's ask this. He says, be sober-minded, to be alert. 
He tells us why to be, because the devil's coming like a roaring lion, right? And he's looking for somebody to devour. So he tells us how to deal with that. He says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, and, and to know that you're not the only one. So what happens if we do this? What happens if we're sober-minded? What happens if we're alert? What happens if we're standing firm, if we resist the devil? He says it in verse 10. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Can you, first of all, can you see that? Who called you? Who called you? The God of grace. The God of, can you imagine like being in this moment where you're losing your life or, or you're struggling for what you believe? And so I listen, no, don't forget, bro, God called you. I know it's tough, but God called you. Stand firm on your faith. Remember, God, God called you. The God of all grace, not some grace, not partial grace, but the God of all grace. He called you. He called you. And he says, hey, by the way, this God, he's going to restore you. He's going to establish you. He's going to strengthen you. And he's going to support you after you've gone through it for a little bit. Right? After you've struggled for a little bit. What's the promise? Listen, the promise is that God's going to restore you. But it's after we've struggled a little bit. Can you see that? Many of, uh, many of us don't want the problem. Many of us don't want the struggle. Many of us don't want the storms. But I think one of the consistent characteristics of God, since we we're talking about knowing God this year, is that oftentimes God doesn't remove you from them. He delivers you in them. He does. Every storm, depending on your perspective, has the ability to shape you into who God's called you to be. That's what James says. Consider it pure joy when, when you're struggling, when you go through trials of many kinds. Because when perseverance has finished its work, perseverance is the ability to keep moving forward even though I might fail. So when that's finished its work, in order for it to finish its work, it's got to start its work. So when it's finished its work, it said I'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's our goal, isn't it? How many of you, I mean, for real, if we're going to be honest and say, hey, how many of us want to be mature, mature and complete, not lacking anything in our faith? We would all want to raise our hand, right? I hope we would all want to raise our hand. But that doesn't happen without struggles. Have you? The Bible talks about Jesus being the potter and us the clay. Where we mess up is we think we're the potter and we try to mold God into our image. But he's the one that does molding. But if, you've, if you watch how pottery's done on a spin wheel, is they put the clay on there, and then the potter will put like his thumb to it, and he'll put a little bit of pressure. And it's after that pressure happens that the clay starts to take shape. Right? If you avoid the pressure, you'll never become who God's called you to be. It takes a little bit of pressure in your life for God to mold you into who he's called you to be, into who he's created you to be. So, so Peter says this. He says, hey, man, the God of all grace, guys, listen, I know it's tough. I know the devil's coming. I know he's messing with your head. He's trying to convince you to give it up. To, is, is following Jesus really worth it? Yes, it is. Why? Because the God who called you of all grace, he's going to do these things. He's going to restore you. Well, what's the language? It's like building a war boat back. Imagine I've gone to battle and I've got a couple holes in my boat. And he says, no, nah, I'm going to fix that boat. Some people in here have walked in this restoration process before. You've taken some hits and you've been restored. You know that this promise is true. But he says, listen, you've gone to war. I see it. I recognize it. God sees it. Why? Because he cares. He says he's going to restore you. He says he's going to strengthen you. 
So not only are you going to be able to float again, but you're going to be stronger than you were before. And then he says he's going to establish you. The word establish is like a foundation. So when you're restored and strengthened, he's placing you down on solid ground. After you've gone through it for a little bit. After you've gone through it for a little bit. You know I mean, what, what was the idea of today for us to realize that most of the battles that we face start right here? Right? Start in our mind. The struggles that we have start here. The bad decisions that we have start here. The faith that we have starts here. The truth we believe is here. You know I mean, it's here. If we never recognize where our battleground is, we can't win the battles that we're going to face. Too many of us are trying to fight with our muscles. God's like, no, I need you to fight with your faith. Too many of us are trying to muscle through, depend on our own logic. Nah, he's like, nah, I, I've given you what to do in the word of God. That's what I want you to do. So here's some things. I'm going to give you some things to start right now. Some of them are just going to be repeats of what we said earlier, but we need to remove emotion from the equation. Right? Borrowed offenses, man, we get overly emotional. Our own offenses, overly emotional. And we talked about this in the relationship series. Most offenses happen from misunderstanding. You know what I mean? If we had to just ask the question, hey, what did you mean by that? Probably wouldn't be offended. But remove emotion from the equation. Second, ask, this is something that we need to ask. Is the narrative that's playing in my mind true? When we get hurt, we build a story in our mind. And a lot of times what happens is we add the details that we want to, to make our story more realistic to us. Here's the truth. Your pain is probably real. But there may be parts of your story that you've exaggerated because of your pain. And what ends up happening is we build cases against people. Remember, Jesus died and in this new humanity, we're supposed to be unified, right? So we build cases against people because we built a narrative that doesn't tell the truth. So in our pain, in our struggle, ask ourselves this question, is the narrative true? The last one, take the time to ask the question, is this a wise decision? Is this a wise decision? If I'm going to be sober-minded, man, I can't be overly emotional. I can't make irrational decisions. i got to be clear-headed so that I can be alert and recognize the slanders and recognize the deceit when they come my way. Because guess what? They're coming. That's not to scare us. It actually should strengthen us to bring us closer. Because it's, it's in those moments when a slander comes that somebody can step in and say, hey, uh-uh, that's not what happened. Becky, she wasn't kissing up on nobody. It was her son. I'm just making up a story. <laughs> she's, just, she's just loving her boy. She hadn't seen him in a little bit. We hadn't, nobody seen him for a little bit. The person I told you that didn't even know she had a boy. Can you see where the story can get twisted? Listen, this series, our goal is to learn to protect our mind. There's scriptures that talk all about it. We're going to dive into it. So I'm asking our ministry team to come up. And if you guys will stand, we're going to get ready to worship. I want to challenge you a little bit. If your mind has been a bad, a tough battleground, I want to ask you to come up and get prayed with. Get prayed with. Right? If we're supposed to do this together, then we war together. And the people up front, they're willing to war with you and pray with you over what it is that's coming against you. 
But maybe, maybe you sit down and you ask the question, man, have I been sober-minded? Have I been alert? Have I been paying attention to God? Am I, am I, is my foundation, am I standing firm in my faith or standing firm in me? So dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that it brings life. And I, I love that Peter talks to a persecuted community, God, because sometimes we feel like we're going through some stuff. And we realize that even at the end of the trial, that there are promises associated with that, God. I pray for restoration in this room. God, I pray for strengthening in this room. God, I pray for a firm foundation in this room. But God, I pray that you would give us, that, that <coughs> you would raise up the spirit inside of us for us to stand firm on our faith. That we would lean into you, not on what's cool or rad or what's going on. God, we would lean into you. Your word has withstood the test of time. Your word still brings life today. And you're still moving. God, give us the strength to stand firm on you. In your name we pray. Hey, that's the message. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it inspired you. I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. In fact, if you would like to join us as a part of our online campus and you would like to watch the video as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing week.